0: open your Bibles as we continue to um, go through the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ. And since it's Easter, the thought occurred to me that perhaps this Sunday we don't continue through the book of Revelation that we do a separate Easter sermon. So then I, I read what the next passage would be, Revelation 21. Did I say 20? Revelation chapter 21, and um, it's an Easter passage. This is, a uh, matter of fact, I was listening to a, a podcast by um, Al Mohler, and he was talking about the resurrection, and he used um, this very passage uh, for his Easter message, so it's it's um, it fits, and so I'd like to say that Back in the first year when we started planning these messages, we planned to land here um, on Easter Day, but we're not that good, but we are grateful that the Holy Spirit um, arranges these things in such a way as to, to bless us. Um, so let me read this. It's just uh, the first eight verses. And before we go to the word of the Lord, let's go to the, the Lord of his word. Our most gracious, loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that as we come together to give you our worship that a part of the way we worship you is by listening to you, by reading your word, singing your word, praying your word um, back to you, and then also sitting and listening to you. So I pray that the words that I say would be the words that you would have us to hear as we seek to understand the text before us, which we can only do by your Holy Spirit fully. And then we pray that you would show us how we are to apply these truths to our lives. So we do thank you for this time that we have. Help us to focus our our hearts and souls, our ears, our minds, our eyes on your word and the things that you have for us. Help the distractions of this world to, to grow strangely dim during this time, and we pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Revelation chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Three and a half minute clip of a sermon by Shadrach Meshach Lockridge, um, or Dr. S.M. Lockridge, that many people have seen. Um, I don't know, the man just had talent for a gift for putting words together. He's had several clips of sermons that that he's done um, in his time, and he's a relatively famous African American Baptist pastor. And it's called, It's Friday, But Sunday's Coming. So you may have seen it. If you haven't seen it, I'm not going to read the whole thing. But look it up. (laughs) It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And listen to him give it. But part of what he says, it begins like this. He says, It's Friday. And, of course, Friday's the day Jesus was crucified. says it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Jesus is praying. Peter's asleep. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. And he goes on from there a bit. So on the cross, from the disciples' point of view, hope is lost. Hope is dying there on the cross. Death is won. And Satan's just a laughing. And he goes on and he says, It's Friday. Jesus is buried. The soldiers stand guard. A rock is rolled into place. But it's Friday. It's only Friday. Sunday is a coming. And Sunday does come. And Sundays continue to come. The women arrive to embalm his body. And there's just one concern that they have, other than thinking of the gruesome tasks that they have before them, but what they're all thinking is, who will roll the stone away? Who's going to roll the stone away? But when they get to the tomb, they see that the stone has already been rolled away, and Mark adds that it was very large. And John tells us that they see Jesus, but they don't recognize him. They think he's a gardener. But he is a gardener. So they get that right. He's not that gardener. But something about him made them think that he was a gardener. I guess he was in the garden. But they were looking at the one who created the garden, they were looking at the creator of the Garden of Eden, the garden, the paradise. Of God, And now he is creating the new heavens and the new earth. And Paul writes that the rulers of this age have not understood the wisdom of God, or they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. So our question this morning has to be, do you love him? Do you you know what it means to love Christ? And do you love him? Because it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. It was for the joy that was set before him while despising the shame, he endured the suffering of the cross for the joy that was set before him. So what was that joy? was on the cross, at one point, he cries out, as they point out in Aramaic, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's been forsaken by all others. And he's, he is on the cross, and the weight of sin continues to be laid on him as the, the wrath of God continues to be laid on him more and more. And the, the close communion as no other has ever known that Jesus had as the Son of God with God the Father begins to be broken. And the depth of his suffering is when Jesus cries out, my God, my God. And it's not like we might do, my God, my God, blasphemously or something. Literally, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Imagine having to to say that. But we miss something if we don't understand what he's really saying when he says this. You would expect Jesus from the cross maybe to quote scripture like he did when he was tempted by Satan. You would expect him to have some psalm on his lips. You would expect him to be able to to have some some wisdom from the word of God to spout forth instead of, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But if we turn to Psalm 22. Psalm 22. And as we remember Christ on the cross, the cry of his faith in the darkness, when he could not sense his presence. Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He quotes scripture from the cross. Those sitting beneath him, standing beneath him, watching him, those who were among the mockers as they were trying to give him something to drink, hear him cry out, Elohim, my God, El, Elohim, Elohim. I, my God, L-O-I, they said, wait, he's calling for Elijah, because there's a popular understanding that at the death of Christ, Elijah was going to return. So they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, stop, stop, Elijah might be, he's calling for Elijah, let's wait and see what happens. Not understanding, he's quoting Psalm 22, but we have to understand he's quoting Psalm 22. In the Jewish mind, when you quote a portion of scripture, it's not like, we do it sometimes, or we'll take a portion of scripture, throw it on the, the, the refrigerator, on the front of a t-shirt, or something like that, and um, take it out of context. But um, they meant for you to understand the entire context of what was said. So when he quotes the beginning of Psalm 22, he's saying, go home, or when you're at worship, read Psalm 22. Is what he's saying from scripture. He's quoting Psalm 22. All of it is intended. So let's look at Psalm 22, remember, Old Testament, at least a 1,000 years before the crucifixion of Christ. And so we read what he, the, his Holy Spirit inspired David to say. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my guide. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls from Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember to turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust." Even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord in the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet done, that he has done it. To tell us, die, it is finished. He has done it. It is accomplished. This is the joy for which. Jesus went to the cross so that when his, so that his righteousness could be proclaimed among the peoples. So that the peoples would proclaim his joy and his righteousness and that he would be known among many brothers bringing glory to God the Father. So when he says my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows why. And that's why he's there. And it's for us even today. And then back to Revelation 21, and this is, going back to verses 20 and back, it's after the end of all things, judgment day, death and Hades, cast in hell, Satan, cast in hell, evildoers, they're all, have been dealt with. And now, what's coming next? This is the next thing. This is, you know, Jesus died on the cross resurrected life, ascended to God the Father. Let's not forget that. He doesn't just walk out of the tomb and he's alive again, but actually is at the right hand of God, ruling from heaven as King of kings and Lord of lords as he stands there. And that is the one whom we worship. As he has shouted, it is done. And now, what's the next thing? What is the, I'm going away to prepare a place for you in my Father's house or in many mansions or rooms? If it was not so, I would have told you this is what it is. This is the culmination of all things. So in verses 21, verse 1, you see, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And he was seated on the throne. He was seated on the throne and said, Behold, I am making all things new. And said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. It is done. It is finished. As Christ himself proclaimed from the cross, he says, It is finished. And here we read, It is done. The From his first word of let there be light to it is finished to it is done the word has spoken creation redemption and now regeneration and renewal of all things Paul writes 2nd Corinthians five seventeen: if anyone is in Christ he is a new creation The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So we see that the new heavens and the new earth, this new Jerusalem, has already begun to break into this world. So we're looking at something in the future. A glorious vision of the church, the glorified church, the final church. After People are in heaven and people are still living on earth. But on the last day, at the end of all things, we see this beautiful city this bride of Christ, and we see it's all images. We're in the book of Revelation, so it's all symbolism. It's all designed to tell us something about the future, our future glory. Even after we die and we go to heaven and we reign with Christ during this time of the reign, during the church age, but after the last day, when it all comes to his final consummation, when it all comes to this great conclusion, he just describes it. New heaven, new earth. But he also says we are a new creation. So it's called sometimes the now and the not yet. We now are new creations, but we're not yet the fullness of that new creation. We are now ruling as kings on this earth, but not yet in the fullness in which God is talking about in the new heavens and new earth. Christ reigns now, but not yet in the fullness of his glory on the new heavens and new earth, where he will physically reign on the earth in the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. And this is beyond what we typically look for. Typically in the church, we talk about going to heaven. You die, you go to heaven. Hey, as the song used to go, and there ain't nothing wrong with that. Okay, that's a good thing. To be in the presence of the Lord, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Amen. But you're in a disembodied state. I don't know if you can, who knows what that's like, but your body and soul have been separated and your soul is there and spiritual with God in heaven. But on this last day, it's all made new. Creation rolled up like a scroll. Our bodies reunited with our souls. I don't particularly care, you know, you're like, well, I don't know, my feet hurt, my back aches, I don't like the way my ears are shaped, whatever it is. It's going to be glorified and it's going to be new. It's still going to be you, but it's going to be a new you. It's going to be better than whatever it is that the oil of LA stuff can do. It's going to be not a completely new, like we're going to start all over, ex nihilo, out of nothing, and then we're going to create a you that's really like just some other kind of body that's been your consciousness downloaded into it. But somehow you'll recognize each other. But a new us. Same thing with all of creation. It's not just that things are going to be cut up and things are going to be polished and things are going to be painted. It's going to be new. And that's what we're looking forward to. There will never have been sin. And we can't even, you can't even imagine it. And the Bible even says it is not even entered into the mind of God the things that await us. And here's another cool thing that I personally like to think about. Um, sometimes I think we make a mistake uh, be, there are loved ones that have gone before us into heaven, and it's easier for us to look for, more forward to seeing them than even to seeing Jesus. We're like, wait a minute, I know that's not right, I shouldn't do that, but you've never actually been able to, you, there was a, a story about a, a little girl that was at home, and it was scary, and she yells for a mom and dad or somebody, to come, come in here, I'm afraid, I'm afraid, and, and the mom goes in there and says, it's okay, it's okay, you know Jesus is always with you. And she said, I know, but sometimes I just need somebody with skin on them. And that's what God gives us. And he says, it's not good that man should be alone, that we, we get one another. He could just say, you have the Holy Spirit, and i go off and do your stuff in the desert by yourself. But he doesn't. He says, you need one another. You need this corporeal thing. You need this fleshly existence, people coming around to encourage you to to work together to do this. But in the new heavens and in the new earth, the cool thing about seeing your loved ones who have gone before you is it's not just going to be one day. It's going to be all of us, all of the church, everybody, all at once together going, what is going to be this new heavens and new earth, this new thing, not just showing up in heaven. And then somebody gets to come and show you around and stuff. But there's a whole other glorification thing that takes place that we really need to be focused on. And the idea with it is not so that we can say, I need my best life now. Not so that we can say, God has promised to bless me with with, um, physical goodness. God has promised to bless me with with long life or, or goods and riches and wealth. If, if you come to God for money, God is not your God, money is. Whatever you come to, if you come to God for a health, then that's your God. So you have to be careful with these things. If you lose it all but you still have God, then you have everything. But he does promise to bless his people, and he blesses his, his people with himself. So he promises this return. Even at the Lord's Supper, he tells us, um, that we're to look forward to his return. And so we might ask ourselves, well, where is he? It's been, it's been a while. It's been a long time. We get tired. A lot of things happen. So we do have his presence among us in the church. But where is this rest of it to come? And that's 2 Peter chapter 3. So if you go back just a, a few pages, you'll, you'll bump into 2 Peter Second Peter chapter 3. Now well, listen to what Peter says. So sometimes we can get in the book of Revelation and think that's the only place in the Bible that talks about end times. But there's lots of other places that say even more than the book of Revelation does about these things. So 2 Peter chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. This is the second letter that I'm writing you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing. I love that line. It's what scoffers do. They scoff. Following their own sinful desires, they will say, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. They deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heaven and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are in, done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in, in lives of holiness and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away by the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace And knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory above now and to the day of eternity. Amen. It's Peter basically preaching this passage to us. As we hope to be given ears to hear. Because the idea is he's coming. He is coming. Sundays are coming. Beyond Sunday is coming. The kingdom is coming. It is now here. The glorified kingdom is coming. It was Friday and Jesus hanging dead on the cross and the soldiers knew their art of killing. They can make death last as long or make it as short and quick as they wanted. They knew what they were doing. All hope seemed shattered. And maybe sometimes you feel that way too. All hope is shattered. But there's a new world coming. Just a little further. Even at its, it has already arrived in you as a believer, your soul. As believers are called to gather together into Christ's church, his body, the new Jerusalem. So what he's saying in the book of Revelation to a suffering church is, hold on. Don't Give in to this old world. The world will drag you down. So don't put your anchor into this world. Let your anchor be in heaven, where it's kept sure for you. Don't cling to this world and this world's things for hope. Hope in Christ. He is making all things new. So once again, Revelation 21. Let's just take the last few minutes here to to break it down just a little bit. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Interestingly, in Greek, and everybody's waiting for this, there are two words for new. One word means new, like it comes out of nowhere. And then the other one is new, like we've made it better, like new Coke, although they didn't quite make it better. So it's like it's the same thing, but it's something new. And that's what this word is. It's the same thing, but it's something new, completely new. It's better than new Coke. New Coke failed. New heavens, new earth is going to be so much greater, you can't even imagine what could possibly be better. But just the idea, and it is important because God created this world and he called it very good. Sin came into the world. The curse came into the world. Now what we have is the reverse of the curse, far as the curse is found is the reversal of this curse. And when the curse is reversed, it doesn't just get you back to Eden. It gets you back to better than Eden, to the glorified new heavens and new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth that passed away, and the sea was no more. I know, some people don't like that. I mean, I like the sea. I like being on the ocean. I like going to the beach. Why is there no sea? It's like, we're in the book of Revelation, okay? The sea is a metaphor. The sea is a symbol for something else. The sea represents something. And it's not hard to see what the sea. It's not hard to see what the sea represents if you look hard enough to see. In the Old Testament and even um, in the New Testament, the sea represented chaos. It's where storms would come up and it was trouble. Um, it's where certain demonic forces believed to be. It's where certain. Uh, it, it was death and darkness, and so the sea represents chaos. Israel comes out of Egypt, and the armies of the superpower are behind them crushing down upon them. They can't go back that way, and ahead of them is the Red Sea. The sea is in front of them, and they can't go through that. And then God does the miraculous, and he parts the Red Sea, and they pass through as on dry land. And they say this even points to our baptism. But the thing about the new heavens and new earth is you don't just get to go through on no new land. There's no sea. There's nothing like that. When you're escaping from wherever it is, there's nothing to escape from. There's no chaos. There's no. There's nothing like that at all. And we can't even begin to imagine what that means. So it's just saying there's no existence at all of any of this death and turmoil. You may very well and probably will. I don't see why you would not get to heaven and there be great expanses of water. Sees you're like wait well, minute, the Bible said it was a metaphor, it was a symbol. It's in the Book of Revelation, but there's no chaos, there's no danger to it. There's no, there's no. There, there'll be lots of mystery lurking, things to discover, things that'll tell you more and more and more about God as you look more and more intently into His creation. Verse two, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. And a lot of this, new heavens and new earth, comes from Isaiah. So he's the one that talks about new heavens and new earth. So it's going back to him. I think Ezekiel talks about the new Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem being the holy city. So again, this is going back to the Old Testament things, but this is talking about um, the church coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride for her husband. It's clearly, the church. That's happening now as when we are saved, then we are um, being, uh, was it, uh, husbands love your wives like Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her to present to himself a bride without spot or wrinkle. So this is what he's doing as we're becoming more and more like Christ. As we, as the outer man is wasting away and the inner man is being renewed, this is what God is doing in our lives. He is adorning us like a bride for a husband. But on the final day, this is going to be fulfilled in a magnificent way. In verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. So this is a fulfillment of all these Old Testament promises, that God will be among us. Adam and Eve in the garden, and that song that people have a love relationship, love-hate relationship with in the garden, Um, some people's their favorite song, and some people just can't stand it. But the song is supposed to be, i walk, was it, in the garden, Something He walks with me and he talks with me like none other has ever known. And it's like, it's talking about Adam and his relationship with God. It's talking about in a way that none of other people had this close relationship that Adam had with God. And then it's broken by Adam. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And yet God continues to make covenants and promises, all pointing to Jesus Christ who will fulfill the righteous requirement of the law so that the relationship with God could be restored. So that when a sinner turns to Christ, when the Holy Spirit has reached in and saved a sinner who's been running from God, who is wretched, lost, torn from God, even when he reaches again into our lives and we feel we're in the valley of the shadow of death, what he does is, is he reconciles us to God. We have been reconciled by Jesus Christ to God so that there's perfect communion So when we come to communion, that's what this is about. Baptism is about the washing of regeneration by the power of the Holy Spirit. But communion is you take, you eat, you come to the Lord, and he feeds us. He provides. He gives us himself as the believer hears the gospel. We are fed by him and provided for by him, and he dwells among us. He did as Israel traveled through the desert, but you could not approach the holiness of God without blood and sacrifices. Poor old Uzzah you know the story of Uzzah, David tries to move the ark back to Jerusalem and uh, doesn't do it right. They put it on some kind of cart instead of getting the, the priest to go and, and use their poles like they're supposed to and, and and treat it as it is, as holy. So it begins to, to fall. Uzzah reaches his hand out to steady the ark. And as soon as he just doesn't want it to hit the dirt. And as soon as he hits the ark, he falls down dead because God has killed him. And it made David very angry. And it makes a lot of people angry here. Why'd God do that? The guy was just trying to steady the ark. And R.C. Sproul has a good line. He says, Uzzah's problem was that he thought that his hands were less dirty than the dirt that God had made. God is holy. And he must can only be approached in holiness. But on this last day, he dwells among us in a way where there is perfect communion, no barrier nothing separating us from god his dwelling the dwelling place of god is with man he will dwell with them they will be his people and god himself will be with them as their guide promises fulfilled he will wipe away every tear from their eyes death shall be no more neither shall there be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away And he who was seated on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. And this was set into motion as Jesus from the cross said, it is finished. This is what was set into motion, all that in the new heavens and the new earth. He says, I am the alpha and the omega. It's the First first and last, I am the A and the Z, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, and this is again Isaiah, to the thirsty I give from the spring of water of life without payment. And if you remember the outcast woman at the well, who was such a notorious sinner that she had to come in the middle of the day to draw from the well because the other women there didn't want anything to do with her. So she showed up later And Jesus specifically goes out of his way to meet the Samaritan woman at the well and talks to her. And he reaches out to her. He begins a conversation with her. And she has to be thinking, why is this Jewish man approaching me and talking to me? And he says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And so we have to say, well, what about you? Do you do you thirst? Do you, do you know what that's like? Have you asked him for this water? He says, whoever drinks from this water that I give him will never thirst again. And it will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. This is what the gospel is in a believer. It's not just something you come to and just, I need more, I need more, I'm thirsty. No, it's springing up within you. What's that mean? Holy Spirit within us, as we go to the Word, as we come to the sacraments, as we pray together, worship together, uh, pray to God, all these things that we do, the Holy Spirit within us should be welling up like a spring of living water unless we decide to walk in the flesh and not follow the Spirit and just... God will sometimes allow you to go down that dry land for a while so that you will remember what the living water tastes like so that you can, again, say, yes, I need you, and you cry out to God. This is all the work of the Holy Spirit. Christ, he is the fountain, the living water, and we're to go to him. He says, I would give you a water of life without payment. Verse 7, the one who conquers... This is the big theme of Revelation, conquering through our faith. The one who conquers, as Christ conquered for us, but we continue in our faith. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God, and he will be my son. You get this. Women, you get to be a son too. It means you get to be the one who inherits the stuff. You get to be the one who is uh, the beloved son. You get to be the one that God has special relationship with with. We become his people, but then there's this but, and this is where he takes us to remind us that we're not universalists, because he is trying to remind people to cling to Christ. He does want the church to remember, you may be persecuted, you may be Um, treated ill, bad things might happen because of your faith, but don't give in to these people. Don't follow these people. Don't do evil because you think it's going to make you better in some way or make things better because the cowardly, and that's the first group that he talks about, people who are afraid of what the world might throw at them because of their faith or because of them trying to stand up for truth, the cowardly, the faithless, the detestables. The detestable. As for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death, which we've been told will not touch the believer. But we're also told in the Bible, once we see this group, we might also be remembered, and such were some of you. So that Christ, when we were yet, cowardly, faithless, detestable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, liars, died for us, the ungodly, for those who would turn to him and trust in him for salvation, that would live by his spirit. Because we know that in these things we're more than conquerors, as we're told in Revelation 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Death angels, rulers, things present, things to come, powers, heights, depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have to remember, especially on Easter, the grave could not hold him. And the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is at work in you, believer. If you're in Christ, death cannot hold us either. So the question is, do you know him? And if not, do you hear him? He's meeting you at your well. He will meet you at your well. He he will reach into your tomb and the gates of hell, the gates of death, as the church storms these gates with the gospel, the power of God and salvation, do not forget that that's what the gospel is doing, reaching into tombs, rolling away stones, calling dry bones to live, and saying, come forth Lazarus. His words are love and life. You have but to trust, calling him to save you. He's our only hope. He is a living water. Death couldn't hold him. And he has the keys of death and hell, and he can free you too. Let's pray. Our most gracious, loving, heavenly Father, you you sent your son to die on the cross. You sent your son to as the, the sin bearer for your people. That the wrath that was due to us for our sin was all born on his brow on the cross, where it wasn't just the physical pain which was severe, but the 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 emotional, spiritual torture that Christ went through on our behalf, despising the shame, but for us, so that we now, we know Christ is for us. So we thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ. Help us to walk from here in knowing that we, too, have resurrected life that we still are in the flesh but we have a spirit that has been brought to life and will be continually renewed by your spirit. We pray that you would bring us so close to you by your spirit that that we'd be more and more and more like Jesus every single second. Help us to long for that to to, to plead for that knowing that we still sin but there's grace And that should give us great comfort and reason for praise. He who is forgiven much will praise much. Help us to see how much we have to be grateful for. So we thank you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.